You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. All right, I want, what are your irrational fears? Let me hear them. Somebody tell me. That feels like a, a, the right one. Yeah. Mice. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, dang. That's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. My, kid, my kids, they hate going to Mets games, right? Uh, because of Mr. Met. That's, uh, um, and so one time, one time I went to a Mets game, and I'm not kidding you. They saw Mr. Met. I'm, no joke. They, uh, they both started crying hysterically. They're like, ah. and I was like, what is it? And they were like, it's Mr. Met. And I was like, what about Mr. Met? And they were like, He's got a small body and a giant head. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, he's, I'm afraid of Mr. Met now too. He does have a small body and a giant head. Fear though, I tell you about fear. We could probably take that picture of Mr. Met down. Fear. Uh, there's a lot to be afraid of. Right now? What do you think? Yes? A lot to be afraid of. Um, Political climate aside, social media, there's some, uh, some interesting opinions there on the social media. Uh, there's a lot to be afraid of. I think um, there's a lot of us who are afraid. We're afraid of the other. I think that's true. Uh, I'm afraid of a lot right now. I'm afraid of not only our political climate, but I'm also afraid that I won't have enough money, that I won't be able to retire, that I'll never own a house again. Uh, I'm afraid that my family won't be taken care of. Anybody with me on any of this? All right. You know what else I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of people um, who are not smart with guns in their hands. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of um, war. I'm afraid of climate change. I'm afraid that the Mets have way too many outfielders. <laughs> Don't know what I'm going to do about that. When it comes to church, when it comes to church, uh, uh, there are people here who I know who, who are afraid of doubt. And sometimes I'll talk about doubt and people are like, well, how can you doubt or why do you doubt? And I'm like, no, no, doubt is nothing to be afraid of. Doubt is a wonderful part of the Christian journey. This is a good thing, but people are afraid of doubt. And you don't have to raise your hand, but let's be honest, so think, think about this for a minute. How many people at one point in your life, or maybe even today, are afraid of God? Are afraid of God. How many people are afraid of God? A couple of people raise their hands because they're like, I, I'll, I'm not ashamed. Yeah, fear of God. What does the Bible say about fear? What does the Bible say about fear of God? Um, I always say this, right? There's angels and the Holy Spirit and it comes and what is it, the first thing that it always tells people when an angel comes? And I always say, that's when we should be afraid because it's going to ask us to do something really, really big, right? Um, but then there's uh, uh, passages, especially in the Old Testament, that are super clear about fear. So let's read them. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. That's from Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And then this one, I added in here. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Which Moses is basically saying, do not be afraid so that you can be afraid. Like I, 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 I'll have to preach on that one time. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Bible's pretty clear, right? And I, I checked out the Hebrew on fear and the Hebrew was really clear as well. I thought it might say like in awe, like translates into awe or something, but no, it translates into like be afraid, like be very afraid. So I was like, man, this is, uh, 
I don't know what to do with this. But we're in epiphany season, right? And in epiphany season, we're in 1 John. And I love 1 John. I've been enjoying being in 1 John. Even if none of you have enjoyed it, I've enjoyed it. Um, And the reason I've enjoyed it is because you have this pastor who's writing a letter to his community. And he's talking about what it means to be a thriving community during, you know, difficult times. And so here we are, and I'm asking us the same question. What does it mean for us to be a thriving community in difficult times? And John uh, actually speaks, or the writer of John, which we believe is John, speaks to fear. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go back to chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bible, Bible apps with you. Um, Go back. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 to 21. And this is what it says. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone ever says, I love God and and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God, or who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now we're going to talk about this this first part. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. A couple things. This seems to contradict everything we just read in the Old Testament, Right? Yeah, maybe. Because what we don't have John saying is we don't have him going, um, hey, perfect love drives out fear except the fear of the Lord, which the whole the Old Testament scriptures tell you about. And he's not doing that. There's a contradiction here. Do not be afraid of contradictions. Contradictions aren't to be afraid of. I say this all the time. The Bible is this wonderful library filled with stories, letters, poems, accounts, songs, and what it shows us is the way people at different times throughout the ages and different cultures, uh, how they related to God and how God related to them. So if there is a contradiction, it's because God is not only working with one group of people at one time, God's working with a bunch of groups of people at a bunch of different times and a bunch of different cultures in a bunch of different ways. And when I see a contradiction like this, I'm like, man, God's amazing that God can be at work in all of us at different times and different places, filling different needs. And I'll explain that here in a moment. One other thing. What would you say is the opposite of love? Hate, right? And yet, First John, it's like the opposite of love is fear. Interesting. I don't know if I'm going to speak on that anymore. It's just interesting. Like, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about where, what John's getting at when he talks about perfect love driving out fear and why fear in John's time is different than fear in the Old Testament. Let's talk about that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to you about the yellow line on the subway. You guys know about the yellow line on the subway platform? All right. My kids, they basically have grown up in New York their entire lives, and when they were first out of strollers, they were like maybe around two and three years old, um, we brought them down to the subway, we walked them down, and we, we pointed at the yellow line, and we said, kids, do not touch that yellow line. We said, if you touch that yellow line, you will die. We said, if you touch that yellow line, you'll be very, very hurt. You do not want to touch that yellow line. And they said, why? And we said, if a train comes and you're touching the yellow line, that's it, it's all over. And so my kids, when they were two or three or whatever, they would come down the subway steps, and then no joke, they would just lean against the back of the subway wall like this. And then when the train came, uh, when they were really little, we'd pick them up, and we'd carry them over the yellow line, and we'd put them in the train. Or when they got a little older, they would hold our hand, and they would jump over the yellow line. Because if you touch the yellow line, you're going to die, right? My kids had an incredibly healthy fear of the yellow line, it was a big deal. Now we interact as adults with the yellow line every day, don't we? Every day, 
we have to step on the yellow line in order to get on the train, correct? Right? Um, God forbid we're ever at Times Square at like the one, two, and three, like, and there's tourists all around and we have to walk past the tourists on the yellow line, correct? We have to do that. If you took the train here this morning, you stepped on the yellow line, and I know you did because you went like this. <laughs> because it's a weekend. We interact with the yellow line, right? That is what we do. Now, now I'm not asking you guys, I'm not telling you guys that, that um, you know, if you touch the yellow line, you'll die. You, you know that's not true, but I think it was really important for me to tell my kids that if they touch the yellow line, they're gonna be really, really hurt. Because what it is, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a development process. It's the beginning of an understanding. So let's go back and read those Old Testament passages. What do they all say? The Old Testament passages say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's very clear what we're talking about when we're talking about fear. We're talking about the beginning. In order for my kids to understand the concepts and the nuances of what it means to be in the subway, at the beginning, I create a fear for them so that they understand. I think this is the same way in church. Uh, I had a friend of mine who had an old church I went to. He was a former drug addict. And he said to me one time, and I thought this was so powerful, he said, you know what, I have to be afraid of God because if I'm not afraid of God, I'm gonna start using drugs again and my life's gonna go downhill. And I was like, okay, that makes sense to me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For him at this time, he knew that it was a, uh, the fear was a good development for him. It was a developing piece for him where he was going to get himself sober. He was going to get himself ready uh, to move on, to move further in healthier ways, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what if, what if after church, you all walk down into the subway and when you walk down there, you all lean up against the wall like this. And you're like, <laughs> you're leaning up against the wall. And what if, when you guys, when the train comes, you tap the person next to you, hey, can you carry me over the yellow line? <laughs> or, and they'd be like, probably not. You'd be like, hey, will you hold my hand so I could jump over the yellow line? Like, what if you did that? New York has a lot of weird people. <laughs> you would be up there with some of the weirdest, Right? Because it doesn't make sense for you to be afraid of the yellow line like that anymore. That doesn't help you. You're on a, at a point in your journey where to be afraid of the yellow line the same way my two and three-year-old kids were afraid of the yellow line actually is irrational. You know what they call irrational fears? Any guesses? It's a Greek word. It's phobia. Shame on all of you. <laughs> phobia. That's an irrational fear, an irrational fear is a phobia. Now, a phobia is this. A phobia is not only an irrational fear, but a phobia not only hurts your development as a human being, but it also hurts the development of others as, a human, as human beings. Okay, so that's what we have, right? We have this, not only does our lack of development, our, our being locked in fear hurt ourselves, but then it moves to hurt other people as well. So now are we getting a little closer to what John is talking about different from the Old Testament? We get it. The Old Testament goes, you're going to need some fear at the beginning. It's going to be helpful for you to set some boundaries and some parameters. But as you move forward, as you move forward, fear is not going to help you any longer. In fact, fear is going to stop you from loving perfectly. That is what we have happening in this passage. That's what's going on. Well, I got to think about the context, right? Because we got to look at context. So when I look at John, uh, we have these brand new Jews or brand new Christians who are Jewish people. And in Jewish people, it was pretty simple. You follow the laws you're in. You don't follow the laws. You should be afraid. 
Okay, it's pretty easy. And not only are they a new church trying to figure out what it is they're supposed to do, but they also um, have all these false prophets. Remember when, I, when we talked about fake news a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago? It, there's a lot of fake news going on. Like, Jesus said to do this. Jesus said not to do that. And so it's like, well, what do we do? I'm afraid. What, where, where do I belong? Maybe I should just go back to Judaism where the rest of my family is, and I know I'm safe if I do this, and I'm not safe if I do that. That was way easier. And what John is saying is John's saying there is a third way. There's a third way to do it. Break out of your chains. Break out of your cage. And I think when we have these sensible fears, because fears are sensible, there's a certain way in which we have to break out of our cage. So... Um, I think about my kids now who are nine and seven. And my kids who are nine and seven, when they see that yellow line, what they do is they walk up to it and they're like, uh, and they step on it and they don't get hurt and they don't die and they make it on the train and they're okay. But there's a process. There's a sense in which they've come out of that fear. But that fear can also leave us feeling disillusioned, can leave us feeling untethered. When we come out of that fear into freedom, we kind of don't know what to do with ourselves. And it's like the boy in the bubble who recognizes that he likes staying in the bubble just a little bit more than he likes being on the outside. This happens all the time in Christianity. It happened to me. I uh, grew up in a church that really pushed fear. Fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord, you're gonna go to hell. And then I became a teenager. And as a teenager, I was like, I think God is more about love. And I don't believe in this fear thing anymore. And I was sort of out of my cage. The bars were, were opened and all of a sudden, I was like, wow, now I'm like untethered. Now I feel disillusioned. Now I feel like, what am I supposed to do? If I no longer fear God, maybe I have to throw the whole thing away. And that's exactly what I did. I threw the whole thing away. I was like, I don't want this anymore. If, if, if fear doesn't work and I'm outside of my cage, I, I'm throwing it away. And so for seven years, I didn't go to church. And I didn't really worship, not until my wife was like, I won't date you unless you go to church. And I was like, fine. That's what brought me back. But I'm glad she did because what it allowed me to see is that there was a third way. There's a third way that John's talking about. When we come out of this sensible fear, it is scary. It leaves us untethered. It begs us, hey, what comes next? What do we need to do next? And luckily, John says this. He says, here's what comes next. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God who he does not see. He says, hey, when you come out of this fear thing, you're gonna come out in complete and other love for the other person. Complete and other love. That is what's going to tether you again. That is what's going to stop you from feeling disillusioned. That is what's gonna bring you further on your journey. And so when I think about our church and I think about the third way, I believe there are some of us here who are going, you know what? My, my cage, that, that fear that I once had, I've broken out of it, but I feel lost. I feel untethered. I feel like, man, maybe it was safer for me to just get back in the cage. Maybe it's just safer for me to leave altogether. I think that resonates with some of us here. And John says, no, the new metric, the new thing that's gonna continue your development, that's gonna stop you from leaning against the wall and jumping over the yellow line is to simply love your brother really, really well. That seems like an easy answer, but it's not. As our church, I can think of three ways that we step out of fear and we love really, really well. I'm gonna tell you, and this is the first one. As Christians, we refuse to be a part of any system, idea, or institution that makes decisions and plans based on fear because that brings about perfect love. 
Any propaganda, anything that we blindly believe based on the fear of somebody else is just ungodly. And this isn't politics, this is Jesus. Like when we look at what Jesus did, Jesus hung out with the refugees, Jesus restored those who were broken, Jesus ate dinner with the oppressed, Jesus continued to rise up against the Roman Empire to the point that he was killed. Jesus continued to be controversial and to push boundaries when it came to restoring other people. He would not give in to the fear of the Roman Empire. He would not give in to the fear of of the Pharisees who said, Jesus, you're with all the wrong people. You're doing all the wrong things. He said, no, this is what my father's called me to do. As a church, we follow that lead. We do not give in to anything that says you begin with fear. No system. I don't have to tell anybody today that there's plenty out there that's asking us to be afraid. There's plenty of laws out there asking us to be afraid. Plenty of amendments out there asking us to be afraid. Our job as Christians is to follow the example of Jesus and to say, uh, um, we are no longer afraid. In fact, we're perfectly loving those who are called to be scared of. That's tough. That's a hard one. I'll tell you why it's hard, because it's going to get to the second thing. As a church, perfect love means we give to one another the benefit of the doubt as we live in a place of unity. I say all the time as a church, unity, not uniformity. Unity in Jesus Christ, uniformity does not matter here. It doesn't work here. Uniformity means we all have to think the same thing. I think if we're truly diverse, if we're truly going to be diverse in thought and action and culture and everything else, then we're allowed to disagree. That's okay. And the truth of the matter is it would be so much nicer if we all agreed with one another, wouldn't it? It'd be so much nicer if I could stand up here and confirm all your biases. Wouldn't that be nice? It'd be a good time. We'd all sing Kumbaya. (laughs) There was someone a couple years ago who said to me, you know, Jonathan, I wish you preached on the fear of God um, because the fear of God makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like I'm in God's will. It makes me feel like God is holding me. And I was like, wow, that just, I, I don't think that's it at all. I think it's, it's stepping out and it's stepping into unity and it's saying, I, I'm gonna go and talk to the person who I don't know anything about or I'm gonna go and be a part of a religion that I, I or not be a part, but go to you know, the, my Muslim friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters and, and find out about their lives and make sure they're okay. I know that Caroline uh, is concerned there's a deli that closed down the street that was run by our Muslim neighbors and she's like, Why? Is it because of the political climate? These are the ways that we love perfectly. We find out why. We talk, we engage. And then I was talking to somebody else, a good friend of mine here at this church. And he said, Jonathan, you know what? Um, He said, this doesn't affect me. Everything happening in our world today, none of it affects me. He goes, I'm white, I make a lot of money, I'm a male. It's like, no one's gonna stop me and ask me if I'm a refugee. No one's gonna take away any of my, of my rights. Nobody's going to uh, um, ban me from coming into their country. No one is going to do that to me. And I said, okay, well, what do you think you need to do? And he said, I think I have to give up my privilege. I think I have to give up my privilege and recognize that even though I don't have that happening, other people do, and if I'm gonna love That means I stand with other people who do have things going on in their lives, who are in danger, who do feel afraid, who are scared, and I love perfectly. That's a hard thing to do. That's a difficult thing to do, get rid of our privilege, to know we're privileged enough that some of it doesn't affect some of us, but to stand with the people it does affect. 
That's what perfect love looks like. That's what driving out fear looks like. And finally, I think the last way we drive out fear means that we are changing the metric on what it means to be Christ followers. Too often to be Christ followers means, well, what did you believe about this? And what's your stance on that? And what's your thought on that opinion? And the metric if we're Christ followers who are living out of fear and loving perfectly is this. It's the fruits of the spirit, which in Galatians says love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. So instead of saying, well, do you believe the right thing? We say, how am I creating a spirit of joy? Well, are you, you know, you're doing this or are you voting for that person? Well, how am I creating a spirit of faithfulness? What do you do in your church community? Well, we hold one another accountable to self-control. Well, what else do you do? Well, we make sure that we serve well. Make sure that we love well. That's what we do. That is the new metric that we have. If we are going to grow and change as a church, it means we put aside fear. We put aside what we're afraid of and we say, yeah, it feels like we're untethered. It feels like we're out there. It feels like we're tipping, falling forward. But there are other things we could do. We will not give in to the fear. We will celebrate the fact that we are unified and we will focus instead on the fruits of the spirit because that is the metric in which we see perfect love. That's it. So the question becomes this for us today. What are you afraid of that no longer serves you? What are you afraid of that no longer serves you? In what way are you standing in the back of the subway afraid to cross the yellow line when it no longer helps you? Is there a job that you should have left a long time ago you're afraid to leave? Is there a relationship that needs to be started or ended you're afraid to do one or the other? Maybe you're afraid to actually help the person in need of help. Maybe your privilege, our privilege is getting in the way. Maybe you're afraid to make amends with somebody who needs to be made amends with. What are you afraid of? What's stopping you from living the life that First John, this, this passage, calls us to live? And I'll, I'll be vulnerable. I've been vulnerable all week. I've been completely overwhelmed by this transition. The fact that our churches, that four from Manhattan and four from Brooklyn have made a financial split has overwhelmed me to no end. And our staff is overwhelmed to no end. And Marley Walters, who was our director of admin, has found another job. And so all week I've been trying to link our bank account to Expensify and I can't do it and I'm bad at it. And I'm overwhelmed. And people on staff have had to take pay cuts. Ben has had to take a pay cut. He's overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed. We are afraid. We are scared. But here's where there's hope. There's hope because there is a community here, all of us, that are no longer going to live in fear. And when some of us are, there's a community here that's going to pick us up, tell us that we can move forward in faithfulness and in love and in self-control and in goodness and the fruits of the Spirit. And I'm encouraged because I think there's a community here that says, you know what, we may not be uniform on, every, on everything, but there is unity in Jesus Christ and there's unity that we have this God, right, who sends God's son, Jesus, the Imago Dei, to show us who God really is. And then Jesus walks with us in our fear. And it even, the Bible even tells us that Jesus was afraid. He was afraid before he was arrested. And the Bible tells us that he was arrested and he was killed. And I can't imagine the fear that Christ felt. And then he's resurrected to show that fear does not get the win. Fear does not rule the day. And that we get a chance to move forward in perfect, unending 
circular rhythm of like Holy Spirit Trinitarian love. And that makes all the difference. So here's what I would like you to do today. We're gonna have communion and we're gonna celebrate, okay? We're gonna celebrate the fact that Jesus did uh, this amazing thing where he walked with us, died for us, was resurrected so that we don't have to live in fear. And on, you have on the bottom of your, um, you have on the bottom of your uh, weekly, there's a prayer thing right there. And here's what I want you to do. When you come up to celebrate communion, when you celebrate the fact that you no longer have to live in fear, I want you to write down the thing that you are fearful of. You don't have to write your name. Just write down on that the thing that you are afraid of, the thing that you need to change, the thing that's hurting your development, that thing that's hurting others, that thing that feels irrational. Write it down. And when you come to take communion, there's a bowl on either side. I want you to go ahead and drop it in the bowl. And know this. Know that our church community, our church leaders, our church staff, our prayer team are praying this week that perfect love would drive out whatever fear you're feeling. And that, yeah, you might feel untethered and you might feel disillusioned, but at the end of the day, love wins. Amen? Why don't we get ready for our time of prayer? (sighs) Heavenly Father, We're so incredibly grateful for who you are in our lives. We're grateful that um, you call us to fear at the beginning, but you don't want us to stay there. You want us to move towards love. You want us to move towards action. You want us to move towards taking care of our neighbor, towards the other, towards the person who has less. Lord, it's a big task and it's a scary task, but it's the one that brings perfect love at the end. So Lord, give us the strength and the courage to step up in love, to shed our bars, to make a difference here in this place. We pray this in your name, amen.